I am Scott Farber. The good-looking guy is the international superstar Larry Mallory. And Larry, I wore a sport jacket today only because you wear a sport. You wear a sport jacket every time we do this podcast, and I never have. And then That's today, true. I pull you out a Whataburger so you could be on time. <laughs> and there you are without your sport jacket. What's the deal? <laughs> well, I actually have it. I just didn't get it on in time. Uh, okay. I, I was running a little late. So. Okay. Well, Zeke and Scott, they're producing today, and they've already been telling us they're going to give us NFL updates because as we're taping, free agency has started, and the only news they've given us so far is Baker Maysfield is uh, in talks now at Tampa Bay. So we'll see how it goes. All right, Larry, the other day we had talked about the XFL, and I was asking you, can this league make it? So... And you said, yes, of course. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the owner. He and his conglomerate. He paid $15 million for the XFL. $15 million. They have eight teams. The NFL has 32 teams with the average net worth of $4.5 billion. Can the XFL really make it? Uh, that's a great question, and... You're asking that question to someone that actually played in the WFL, you remember? Right. And um, and had the unique opportunity of of um, being teammates with Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and Paul Warfield. I think the XFL is coming in at a good time, and the reason I think that is that there are so many good coaches, good developing athletes in our youth system in high school, in college. And I think that the number of, of guys that actually have the opportunity to play is greater than the number of teams that you have in NFL now. So I think it's great that we're giving these good athletes other options, you know, in terms of their pro professional sports career. So is this going to be, do you think, then like a minor leagues for the NFL? You know, uh, I, I don't believe that the, the degree of talent is going to be minor league, but I believe that the National Football League has a hold, you know, on our country. And and it's been around for so long. It's been a part of everybody's family and lives for so long. It'll be very, you can't unseat the NFL. You know, when, when, the, I, uh, uh -huh. when the AFL merged with the NFL, you know, back in whatever it was, the late 60s or whatever. Right. The talent level was there. I mean, you know, because uh, almost immediately all the AFL teams were just as good as the NFL. Right. So the talent level was there. Is the talent level going to be in the XFL? Well, that you brought up a good question because you brought up an example in the past when there was not as many good athletes, not I mean, not as many coaches, not as many opportunities as there are now. So what you just said really is the key for a new league. You know, you'd be surprised, Scott, to see how many guys go to uh, NFL camps, preseason camps, and how many don't actually make the team. Yeah. And how many are really good athletes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, the, other, the other thing, too, you know, you talk about like in the old days when there was less players, less teams in all sports, you really – must have been good to make it. It got diluted some of the talent because of, of the addition of so many teams and 
and so many more players now. And so you wonder if the talent will be too diluted, you know, um, or like you said, with better coaching, better training and everything, are that many more players that high quality, you know, to get to the NFL, you know, cause you and I, Larry, we talk so often, you know, you know, you were always, you know, I know it's silly, but you were always apologetic to me that you weren't a superstar in the NFL. And I'd sit there and I go, my gosh, Larry, you made the NFL. Very few people do that. You were in the NFL for multiple years. <clears throat> so how can you question, uh, you know, yourself and everything? So, you know, now will these guys really get a, uh, get a shot to get out there? Can they make, you know, are they going to be using it for a, like a step, a, a stepping stone for themselves to get to the NFL? Of uh, going into the XFL first and then on to the NFL. Right, right. Now that is that is a sort of a magnetic situation for one's career, primarily because of the the weekly salaries. <laughs> you know, right. they're making much more money there. But the good part is that at least we've created an entry point for for the volume of young athletes that's coming out of colleges now. They might not make the same money as Tom Brady or you know some of the superstars that we've seen and known all of our lives but they can get a good family started, you know, and, and, and they can they can have a good team to support them and their families. But So it gives them a good opportunity to participate in, in American society. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. And my point where I was making, too, uh, to finish my point when I was talking, how you always said, well, you weren't a superstar. It's always like anybody who was in the NFL was a star in high school, more than likely, a star in college. And then when you get to the NFL, you're all the cream of the crop. Now there's going to be a little bit of separation just amongst that small elite group that's at the top of the pyramid, you know, that, you know, that sets you apart. And then I always, I always wondered, what is the difference between a superstar at a position and the average guy at a position? They all, you know, you know, a defensive back, they could all catch a ball if they make an interception. They could all tackle somebody if they have to make a tackle. What is it that set, makes that little separation? Is it like one phenomenal play every other game or something that draws attention to them? What's this? What's the little minutia separation that makes somebody a star? It's the competitive dominance. That, that, that's, that's the difference there. At the end of the day, you know, everybody's very competitive, but it's how you end up, what do your statistics look like? You know, because at, uh, prior to every NFL game, and especially well, when, when I was coming through, Scott, it was it was a very good report that you got, right? Right. We didn't have some of the, the electronic mechanisms that they have now. So I would imagine that the, the pregame supplements is given to each player about what's going to happen in that game is much thicker than it was. <laughs> I know they have a lot more information, you know, to be able yeah. to align. Absolutely. Now, did you ever shake Fred Bolitnikoff's hand? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I can't really remember back then. Well, I'm just, I'm just curious if you did, because if you did, you stuck to him because you know he was the great wide receiver on uh, Oakland and he used to wear that have stick him all over his hands his arms mm -hmm. they'd throw a ball and he'd catch it on his elbow you know, That's right. <laughs> you know and 
you know, so you take, it's legal, you take a little advantage, but now they wear gloves. And I wonder how much, you know, those gloves are like stick them. Because, you know, the thought to me of playing football in a glove, trying to catch a ball or the cornerbacks, even passing with a glove on, what is the grip like, you know, with those gloves? You know, I've never thought about it like that. But you're, you're exactly right, because I'm seeing a lot of receivers with glove, gloves now. You know, and that, that's, uh, I'm sure it has some support for catching the ball. <laughs> so. I, I guess that that way they don't have to be Fred Bolitnikoff and just load up on stick, um, you know, uh, uh, of course, now Scott and Zeke are going, who's Fred Bolitnikoff? <laughs> probably are. But that's okay. You know, um, all right, well, let me let me, let me me switch gears just a little bit here. Odessa Jenkins, a former guest on our show, uh, and I guess, you know, you spoke to her over the weekend. We're going to get her back on this show. She started the, uh, the uh, WNFC, you know, the Women's Football Conference. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it started in 2018. Their first season was 2019. They're going into their fifth season now, I guess. The XFL has eight teams. Um, Odessa's league has 18 teams. Should the XFL reach out to her? (laughs) Kind of ask her to help them, uh, uh, prod them along to get them the last five years and expand that far? Well, the first thing is my hat's off to OJ. You know, um, she's doing a great job, you know, and, and uh, being very positive about the direction that she's taking that league. Um, honestly, that's a lot of that's a lot of players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I saw that, that's of, of all the things that she we talked about. The main thing was how many players they had. So it just says, well, that that there if you got that many people that's willing to play on one team. And you got multiple teams, then it's a whole bunch of people ready to play. I'm curious. It's a whole bunch of people. It's a whole bunch of people ready to pay them to see them. Well, I'm I'm curious. What kind of crowds do they get? Do you have any idea? Well, honestly, I would think that they get reasonable crowds, similar to high school or junior colleges, not 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 like colleges, but I would think that they're getting good crowds because it's so many of us that want to support them. That's right, the bottom right. line, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and especially with women playing, your family is going to be there. Your friends are going to be there. And, and it's just going to be a good good time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get her back on the show and we're going to get an update from her. Okay. Bud Grant, the great Minnesota coach, uh, passed away. I guess he was in his 90s, about 95, I think I heard. Now, you and I talked about this. I had no clue, you know, uh, um, First of all, did you ever meet Bud Grant? I did, but not, you know, it wasn't a personal meeting. I think it was a situation where the team shook hands. We took yeah, hands. Yeah, he shook hands after the game and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I'm, know it personally. I'm assuming Minnesota won. I'm only teasing you. <laughs> you know, um, Bud Grant, I, you know, I, I'm shocked I didn't know this until I just researched it the other day. He coached in Canada for 10 years and won six Grey Cups. You know, I had no clue. Did you know that? Not at all. Not at all. I, I mean, and then I'm reading more about him. Okay, he played in the NFL. Okay, that makes sense. But he also played two years in the NBA. And he was on the Minneapolis Lakers as a, uh, as a backup. But in 1950, he was on the team and they won the NBA title. 
And so this guy, so this guy, he's got an NBA title, an, an NBA trophy sitting at home for winning the uh, championship in 1950. George Mikan was the star of the Minnesota Lakers back then, and of course, then the team shortly after that moved to LA. Um, he won six Grey Cups in Canada, which is their version of the Super Bowl, um, yeah. I guess. And then he coached the Vikings, had a tremendous record with them over the years, went to the Super Bowl four times, and then lost all four Super Bowls. I mean, yeah, and unbelievable they couldn't win it. Well, just he just had such an amazing career. I never knew he, he you know, played any basketball for me, but does, he just had an amazing career. You know, he was one of those guys that you always saw him on the sideline. He was all business. I never saw him change his facial expression. A lot like Tom Landry. You know, I'm here to do this job, and I'm not changing. He always had a hat on, too. Dude. He, had a, he had like a baseball cap type yeah. hat on all the time. Yeah. You know, so, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that uh, that we had mentioned him. Um, did you watch the Academy Awards last night? No, I didn't. See, I am wondering what the ratings are going to be. Nobody's been to a movie in three years. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it, you know, uh, um, this year I did see Elvis. That's the only movie from all those movies at the Academy Awards uh, that were going on that I saw. And I used to, you know, my wife and I would go to a movie every weekend our whole life. That's that's what we did. Out yeah. to dinner into a movie. Then we started eating at the movie theater, you know, when they all became, uh, you know, restaurants within the movies but yeah. uh i watched uh jimmy kimmel's opening opening monologue i thought he was very 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 funny but then i really didn't watch the rest of it i waited till the end to see uh to see uh the the, the male the female actor and actress and uh and then the movie of the year and that was it all right let's call scott and uh zeke in for a little trivia time let's see what they okay. can do the trivia experts that, that that's right. Any any uh, any more uh, free agency updates? None yet. Baker, just just Baker. All right. Let me look at these uh, two questions that we have for you. All right, Scott. I'm going to give give you the first one. If you get it, I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> Only one movie, an X-rated movie, and we now call that uh, um, uh, uh, N17. Harvey. So it's not an X-rated anymore. It's NC-17. But when they were calling it X-rated, um, one X-rated movie has won the Academy Award. And if you need a hint, I'll give you a real good hint. I I actually saw this on Twitter a couple days ago, but I forgot the name. <laughs> I need a actually, hint. You know the answer. I'll fill in the circle. I know the answer. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a hint then. All right. John, John Voigt and uh, Dustin Hoffman were the stars. You could do it, Scott. Oh, no. I can't remember. Oh, my God. I, I saw it, too. Like, I, I saw that fun fact on Twitter. I just I can't remember the name. Zeke, do you know who that is? Dustin Hoffman. But um, Well, no, I know uh, you know the actors. You know John Voigt, too, because that's Angelique Jolie's... Uh, father yeah. um so the movie was i think it was 1969 i don't know it was midnight cowboy guys oh well how an interesting side note there was a baby in that movie i interviewed a lady 
for the Generations Broadcasting website, and that baby was her granddaughter. So that's a little <laughs> fun fact. All right, Zeke, this is for you. There's a tie for the richest actor in, ho uh, in Hollywood, and I have a dispute with, with the answer, but um, who do you think uh, are tied being the richest actors in Hollywood? Do you mean like has been paid the most or their movies have grossed the most? No, they have the most money. And they, I'm sure they got it not just from their acting. I'm sure they got it because they have a million endorsements. Um, Tom Cruise and um, uh, Robert Daddy Jr. Well, the, Tom Cruise is up in the top five. The two rigid guys that are both within a little bit of money of each other, both approaching a billion dollars, are Jerry Seinfeld and Tyler Perry. Now, my dispute with this is Oprah Winfrey's worth $3 billion. Isn't she an actress? Then she win an award for being in a couple of movies. Well, Tyler Perry just had, has a whole studio complex in Atlanta. Oh, but, but he also stars in a lot of Medea movies. He plays Medea. Yeah. So that's an actor, you know. And Jerry Seinfeld, I don't even, you know, he's probably been in some bit movies, but, you know, of course he had a pretty good TV show. Oh, mm -hmm. you guys probably never have even seen it, have you? I've seen Seinfeld. We we have seen Seinfeld. I, I yeah. I I was watching it on Netflix a little while ago, and I think I made it through into season three. All right, not now. <laughs> I'm going to take you back one one uh, sitcom before Seinfeld. Did you ever see Cheers? Yeah, I've seen it, but not watched all of it. Yeah, it's the prequel to Frasier. <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Frazier had a little jump off. They all had a little uh, little jump off. All right, guys. Well, we didn't get anything right again. I'll find one very easy for you next time. All right, Larry and I are going to finish up. Thanks, guys. Well, may I point out, we didn't get any of them right, but all three of us are wearing our blazers and Larry is not. I just wanted to... <laughs> That's right. We all have our blazer in Larry's honor. And we didn't even call each other and say, do that. We just did. That's a good one. <laughs> made it to the we best. might have done that between the scenes, but. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Larry, let's finish up here. To the right one. The Players' Championship. Golf, we could officially say, has had a turnover. I think Jordan Spieth and uh, uh, Justin Thomas are great players, but I'm almost thinking that they're a little bit. I, I mean, uh, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm might be in a tier a little bit higher than them now. What do you think? I agree. I, and I agree because of, uh, well, I agree for a couple of reasons. One is equipment, you know, but right. two is size. Rahm and Scheffler are linebacker size. Right. And and Justin and, and Jordan are defensive back size. Yeah. They're competing now. I'm not saying they're not going to. But I think right now, one of the keys in professional golf is distance and accuracy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you look, you look at these guys, a guy like even Victor Hovland, who's having a tremendous year, he, you yeah, can, yeah. he is solid too. You know, yeah. he's not the biggest guy out there, but you can tell that, uh, that he is solid. You know, um, but I think golf, uh, you know, it's almost like the changing of the guard again. And I mean, uh, uh, um, Justin Thomas and uh, uh, Jordan are still like 29 and so i still think they're going to win a lot of tournaments and they're probably going to both win a few more majors 
But right now, if you had to say, who are the top golfers, their names aren't the two, top two guys. You know, it's more the Roms and the Schefflers and Victor Hovland now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like a complete changing of the guard from the Tiger Woods era anyway. It is. And the PGA is, and, and, and this, this is, can probably be questioned, but I would think that they're actually making more money and saving money on the other side because, because of the long distance that guys now are getting off the key driving, Right. All, all the all the uh, the golf courses have to do now is move the tee box back. Right. You know they don't have to really adjust. You know things. All they got to do is move the tee box back, and everything works. You know, I saw one of the golfers talking. I can't remember who it was, but they were saying that, you know, it, it's still 125 yards in is where this game is won and lost because everybody hits it a ton now, and if you hit it 350. Or 320, it ain't going to really make, make a big difference. You're going to use the same iron in anyway. That's this, right. This game always has been and still is from 125 yards into the hole. That's where the game is played, you know. And and, and I find that interesting. But um, uh, so Scheffler is back now to number one. Rom had a good opening round, and he had a drop out for illness, I guess. So you know, you kind of wonder what what might have happened there. But I think there's so much more money now that PGA. I think you know. Uh, um, I think Scheffler won four million dollars for the tournament, and that's a reaction to the Live Golf. Now I'm looking at Live Golf, and I'm going, you know, they're only playing eight tournaments a year. They're going to have trouble competing. I mean, if Dustin Johnson, these guys are getting paid enormous amounts of money to be on the Live Tour, but if they're only going to play eight competitive tournaments a year. It's going to hard, be hard for them to keep their stature of where they are in the golf world. You know, that's not a lot of tournaments. It's not, but it's a lot of money. Well, no, no, the money is there. The money is there. But I'm just talking about the golf. You know, you know, uh, uh, if they're going to, you know, now they're going to be allowed to play in the Masters, all the live golfers. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see uh, um, um, how it goes. But uh, do you do you, do you think uh, that somebody like Scheffler now is he going to be like him and Rom are going to be up there for the next decade? Are they going to be? No, no, no. No one is going to dominate. Yeah, I don't. In fact, there's there's kids right now coming out of college and their focus is on uh, Rom and Scheffler. Right. It's getting very very competitive, and I think that's a good thing for the game. You know, you know, and you talk about obviously Tiger Woods dominated, you know, like no, no, no tomorrow. And you look at a guy like Phil Mickelson. If he didn't play in Tiger's area, in Tiger's era, how much recognition more would he have gotten? You know, he, he won 40 something tournaments, he won six majors, and Tiger just dominated the whole time because Tiger won over 80 tournaments and 15 majors. You know what I mean? So I, I wonder what, how big would the Phil have been if Tiger wasn't around, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's, it's an interesting point. All right, we're going to end the show today. Um, Zeke is going to put out a little clip uh, of Odessa from when she was on the show last time. Okay. And, uh, um, yeah, so everybody could get a little catch up on uh, on Odessa from what we did in the past, and we'll have her on soon. Larry, we're out of time, man. 
Good show today. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. We need to play some golf. All right. All right. <laughs> For Scott and Zeke, he's Larry. I'm Scott. Take care, everyone. Thank you, now. I've actually played football my entire life. I've uh, been an athlete. Uh, football was my first sport. And you know, when I saw the boys running around, uh, it was the one that caught my eye, right? And yeah. I was lucky enough to be a daughter to a dad who loved to see his baby play sports um, and to a mom who thought there was no nothing I couldn't do. So I was uh, encouraged, encouraged to, to play all sports by my parents. And growing up in South Central LA with the with the guys, you had to kind of be tough if you were gonna play outside. So, yeah, that's um, so that's how I found the game. And frankly, you know, growing up playing, I played basketball and football and came to a point in my life as an eighth grader uh, where I had a coach tell me, listen, it's time to give up football because there's no place for women there. And, um, you know, I'm not a very large human. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent athlete. I've uh, been called OJ my whole life because I played one day. And, um, you know, I got to the eighth grade and my coach said, listen, you've got a real opportunity to go pay for college and help your family and help yourself and uh, get out of the hood per se. And you're smart and I think that you should make the smart decision and focus on basketball. And so I did, and it was tough. And I went on and played Division One basketball, and no regrets. But as soon as my senior year was over, I went looking for football again and trying to find ways that women were involved. And I was surprised, like most people are when I tell them today, that there were thousands of women all over the planet playing tackle football. I could, like, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was just blown. My mind was blown. And so I started playing and I was lucky enough to have a really great career in a bunch of leagues all over the country and uh, played for USA football and won some gold medals and won some MVPs and got voted the top running back in women's football and made the Hall of Fame and all these things. And yet, um, you know, I was in the highlight of my career. I was actually in, an, in the NFL offices with the Atlanta Falcons. I had been awarded the Bill Walsh Diversity Internship. And uh, I was sitting in the running back's room in one of these giant plush chairs and had come off of practice number two and there were all these things available to these athletes. And I just want to go medal in a national championship. And nobody knew who I was, knew who my sisters was, my coaches were. And I frankly had decided sitting in an NFL office that um, I wanted to put women's tackle football on the map and that I um, not only thought that I had what it took, but I was learning sitting in the NFL about um, some of the things that we would have to do in women's football to be taken seriously. And so I set off from there. That was 2017. The next year in 2018, I got a group of business leaders together. We went to all the teams who have been playing women's football across the country and we landed on 20 who believed in the vision and I walked into the offices at Adidas and said listen this is what we're gonna go do and they're like who are you, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Um, same thing with Riddell and I said listen I got a vision and I have more than a vision I have a plan and there's a model there's a market for this and they believed me and 
we were the first league that either of those um, large companies sponsored for women's tackle football. And two years later, we are uh, kicking off with the WNFC. So 